Welcome to Spike the Movies number three. This is going to be the episode where we focus on the film I chose this time, Unstoppable, directed by Tony Scott. Of the connection of Chris Pine being the uh, thing that ties us into the Star Trek as a great whole. I'm here with my usual co-hosts. Matt Brothers, hello. And Liam Dempsey, hello. And uh, so yeah, I think we'll, we can't wait to work this film. It's a lot of fun uh, to go into, but also kind of maybe we'll touch on Tony Scott's career as a whole, seeing, seeing as the you know there is a big full stop on that one. Uh, yeah, I think it's fitting given that this is his final film. Yeah, this um, is the full stop. You know, yeah, unfortunately, uh, yeah. a couple of years later, uh, he did take his own life. Um, because of the uh, film's reaction to Unstoppable. <laughs> no, no, it was. This is the thing. It was actually well received critically. This is this is the surprising thing. I mean, not surprising. Like, um, you no, know, it still is like up in the end. Like, what actually drove him to kill himself, wasn't it? You know, they say yeah, he was very ill. Yeah, there was a whole thing at yeah, the yeah. time of. I think Ridley said something like, "Oh, he'd been secretly battling cancer," but apparently, in the notes he left, like there wasn't any mention of this. So it's up in the air whether there was anything uh, really? still already history, existing. Yeah wrong with him or yeah, whether it's just that is a bit weird it was something uh, you know he, he had he was on medication I think at the time that was known to increase suicidal thoughts and things so right. it might just be a weird cocktail oh, and a fucking disclaimer you put on the packet isn't it <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's one of those things isn't it where I mean we, you can never know kind of what's going on in someone's life and what leads them to doing something like that uh, but he's very sad but he leaves behind definitely a body of work and uh, we're going to discuss uh, Unstoppable which is one of the pieces from that body of work and the rest of it today um, so well, first brief synopsis I think just, uh, just yeah. to bring us like Unstoppable is a runaway train film the end <laughs> Yeah, it's about this train whose speed can't go below a certain uh, speed when it keeps going, and it's called the train that couldn't slow down. <laughs> well, it's that speed is 70 it's, miles per hour, isn't it, pretty much? It's, it's like, yeah, it's one of those films where the synopsis is basically the premise, like a one line. It's just like, what do you need to know? It's like, there's a train, unmanned train... It, oh, and it, 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 it escapes, yeah. and they're trying to track it down. Oh, really? I think it's like, you know, this is a picture of me in Mars. Fine, fine. There's a train that's unstoppable, and they must stop the train. But it's unstoppable. It's called Unstoppable. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well it's based on a true story, which was the C CSX888 incident. Um, wait, did I actually just say that right? Yeah. You did? Okay. It right. really just sounds like an error code for some like old computer program. Yeah, 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 it does. Where This was back in 2001, um, where, it, to be honest, the, the film is reasonably faithful to the true story, where, um, you know... It, did somebody was... say it's like, it's a missile the size of the Chrysler building? <laughs> <laughs> Does they say that? Well, yes, that's yeah, what she it's, says. It's, it's like, like a giant missile the size of the Empire State Building. No, Chrysler Building. Chrysler. Like, yeah. And, right, right, But right, it was right. just like the most paler line I've ever heard. We have an unmanned train rolling into a highly populated area with no air brakes? Yeah. Over six, over six. What's up? There's an unmanned train on the northbound track. It's under power? It's coming straight at us. What are we worried about in terms of cargo? Eight freight cars of hazardous chemicals. We're not just talking about a train. We're talking about a missile the size of the Chrysler building. But yeah, no, basically an incompetent uh, engineer or train driver 
uh, leapt off a train that he was currently driving because there was like a trigger switch he had to pull or something like that and he, he just basically allowed it to yeah. go off and so it, this, is, was... this is what happens in the movie as well is that how it escaped in real life as yeah well? that's how it escaped in real life yeah that, that's pretty much exactly because one question one question I had about the real life instant because I was thinking oh you know how much of this is true whether it's the circumstance of the characters but one thing that felt really filmy was the fact that it's not just a runaway train it's got like four or five carriages of basically explosive like nuclear bomb material on it that felt like well, no, no, added that, stakes but that's that, that is right. that is real as well yeah yeah well it had because um... it felt like it like a pitch meeting they're like it's not enough that this is just a train that might just plow into a city <laughs> stack it full of like chemicals that will like cause oh, yeah, a huge and come across you know it will land on this on these uh, fuel tanks as well yeah on this like perfect, on dead man's curve perfect ingredients for like yeah it's like a bloody western or something yeah yeah I'm not sure I... that's your that's your Damon distress tied to the tracks at that that point yeah. isn't it you know there's going to be a genuinely terrible outcome it'd be you know there's terrible outcomes all the way along but the worst one is like if we can't get it done by this point um, yeah so I wonder if the that that um, pivotal curve bend that they're he- kind of heading towards which has all the fuel tanks was that maybe not true because it, the film takes place no, in a different the, city, the, the bend thing that's true as oh. well Like, it, but I don't think it's true that when that happens like tons of it falls off the side and stuff like that Like, but there's yeah I mean reading about the uh, true story I, mean, I should just say basically in 2001 an engineer using the locomotive to move a string of freight cars from one track to another um, in Ohio. Mm. Uh, the string consisted of 47 freight cars, 22 of which were loaded. Two tank cars contained thousands of gallons of molten phenol, a toxic ingredient of paints, glues, and dyes that is harmful when it's inhaled, ingested, or comes into contact with the skin. So that's the harmful stuff. Is there. So presumably it's not as harmful as what they have mm. on unstoppable train mm-hmm. but still pretty bad because they're making like, it sound know. in the film they make it sound in the film like it's, it's yeah chemical. like it's like a potentially like nuclear yeah. missile oh, it's clover, clover like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah so I don't yeah it wasn't as bad as that but still dangerous stuff on board still dangerous if it ended up kind of crashing somewhere uh, or something like that so yeah really it is reasonably close I don't think it smashed into as many things on the way uh, to being yeah. stopped. That's like of nuns. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is very much because I remember seeing the Some trailer. Some of a pram. Yeah. Well, <laughs> this is the thing. I remember seeing the trailer for Unstoppable and yes. and it really did play up. This is a runaway train full and it just like how much things can be thrown away with it are going to be peril- you know, perilous. It's like, is it going to hit? Is it going to hit? No! Just almost, <laughs> so many near misses to keep the tension up because at the end of the day it should be so quite simple to kind of like turn off the train. If you can get somebody onto the train they'll just go and hit the stop button and it just feels well, like this is the thing I think they did a really good job of stretching it to yeah of amplifying up the, the danger of it as well like when yeah. it starts because they assume it's in like neutral and not going they're just like oh it will be going 10 miles an hour max just run up to it oh, they can't do that okay just drive up to it they can't do that and then they realise yeah. they keep stacking up like oh shit it's actually in gear and it's going really fast oh shit it's actually got all this stuff on it oh shit we're heading towards you know it keeps adding up so mm-hmm. it's not from the word go all the yeah. dangers are inherent it's like okay and, and these this, people, is, this is manageable oh shit it's not oh god <laughs> yeah there's a lot of people like you know who it's a good way that kind of delivers that information mm. and I think that's uh, it's nice it kind of staggers it across the thing because you know it does the, it doesn't take very long for the train to get underway in terms of like on its you know fateful mission it's like, I think it's like 10 Straight minutes in, isn't it? it's, it's yeah. it, there's it, 
I really appreciate this film is 90 minutes and I think it's mm. and it even says it on the poster like 90 minutes yeah. like Armageddon or well, something well that's pretty much my first notice like how often do you see a super tight 90 minute thriller like this these days you do get films like this these days but they either expand on the true it felt like uh, like a Peter Berg movie today yeah, I was literally about yeah. to say the same thing I was like Peter this, is, this yeah, is the sort yeah. of film that Berg's been trying to do for years now and to various uh, degrees of success but this is one that's kind of like strips out everything unnecessary and just says right here's something just super tight here's the danger up front here's the characters it kind of you know because it, it takes a while for the core set of characters to start interacting like you have Pine and Denzel at first and then the different elements coming in but once that's all going and the train's off like it's in no time at all and it flies by like a train yeah yeah I mean it, it does I mean it's, it's pretty lean I would say and you know there's not really I, I, I wouldn't I didn't get bored at all I think it's you know compelling all the way through and I, I think it does feel there's a reality to it. It, it even though you can tell that it has been ever so slightly heightened to make it a bit more of a proper blockbuster. Well, it's the kinetic camera of yeah. Scott. This is yeah. like it's not a dramatized documentary, is it? It's so. actually him taking his foot off the gas slightly in terms yeah, of where he got to. He, I think, he reached peak Tony Scott like second phase. Well, well, let's just like we can just like divide his career into like before Enemy of the State and after Enemy of the State where he mm. kind of invented this hyper-kinetic camera work and, and really kind of flashy editing style. Epileptic with editing Christian, style. Yeah, Christian yeah. Wagner. And, it, like, it reached its peak with, I think, Domino yeah. in 2005, which is, it adds in an, another layer of acidy kind of, like, um, camera filters, I think, to that level. So it's got the editing, it's got the camera work, and then these filters, these really garish filters that kind of make it really difficult to watch. Um, and I think he kind of took the, you know, took a step back when he went and did Deja Vu, Pelham, and then Unstoppable. And this is kind of like, it's still got the flashy camera work, mm. but it, it seems to be reined in a bit more. Mm. The editing is far more restrained yeah, in yeah. this than it has. I mean, even though I would say this is still a very fast-cut movie, the way it's kind of moving along, because it, it still has a real momentum to it, but not to the degree of something yeah. like Domino. I, I mean, all the better for it. Yeah, yeah, I agree completely. I think it's really smart, because for so much of this film, what you have... The two characters having a you know tense but just a conversation in the front carriage of a train, and if you just, just shot Denzel that, and Pine, yeah, if you just yeah. shot this yeah. like shot reverse shot, you wouldn't get a sense of the movement of the train that much just behind them. But in this, the camera's constantly just circling around, circling around, and it's the fact that the camera never stops moving. It's less kind of being flashy in the way that it's cut together it's more like the movement it's doing is mm. just always moving and yeah. so even just chats between them in a carriage is suddenly just like yeah as oh, you notice that there's a shot like of Denzel which are, like every time it comes around the side of the, the train to him I remember that like almost three times in a minute it's yeah. the same shot yeah um, and I kind of like became quite aware of it actually at the time. I suppose it's because we were watching it with a kind of critical eye. But uh, I mean, yeah. I've been watching a lot of Tony Scott films uh, this month in preparation for this podcast, just because it was the last film he ever made. I wanted to kind of have a look back over his whole kind of career of films I hadn't picked up. And um, one thing that's like a thoroughfare, like all the films like I watch, is swirling camera. Mm. Like Tony Scott loves a swirling camera, going like you know, in all of his movies. Movies. and yeah this is no different but I think 
it actually works very well for a film set on a train. Yeah. I think, like, you know, because you literally can, like, you know, go all the way around that train yeah. and the carriage and everything like that, and it, it works really nicely for it. And it's because the alternative is to be quite static and boring in something that's meant to be... Yeah very like edgy a seat and so yeah and I where, think this is edgy a seat but this isn't know, the like, case of yeah like style over substance it's definitely the style enhancing the the feeling going into what's happening in the scenes and on something that's constantly on a train like you need to be doing something other than just here they are yeah well yeah I think it's um, Jan de Bon actually kind of invented the um, constantly moving camera in you know his the late 80s action movies and uh, then he kind of bought but he insisted on doing speed where it's actually on the bus and actually in movement in real time isn't it and I think like his legacy almost like is on this as well because the camera work and you know they did it you know you're on location with a real train for the most bit I think there's only a couple of like CGI shots in the film where you, you see the train do the curve uh, you know go around the curve at high speed which they couldn't do obviously for real mm. that you're kind of like oh, okay that's slightly showing I've got to say in general apart from like you say the curve and everything like that which is a, a little bit CG in general the, the use of practical filmmaking mm. I think is really impressive in this yeah movie. yeah yeah it really feels like like proper like lived in I think yeah, the, and the explosions where it's actually hitting stuff it looks great and just yeah. on like a practical level because I, I noted like you know how the hell do you shoot something like this like how do you reset a speeding train for a second take like where do you there's a lot just, of backing up just the again. stuff of like you know where do you have your production base and everything's on the move and it's like just trying to get your head around the feasibility of this because when it, that train's going along it's obviously real I'll recommend a little behind the scenes for you to kind of like look at something like this if you ever get the chance to look at Jewel like yeah. Steven Spielberg's first film like he there's a documentary about that showing like how he did that entire film in like 12 days and uh, he on the he had a, on the, the motel room he's staying in, he just drew out the you know, map of the entire road all the way around the w walls and then like noted like where he's going to put the camera every day and so he could actually have different like backgrounds for you know, different days but mm. also kind of move the film along so the whole film like is on like three miles or like, five miles of road or something like that but, um, but you know he's covering 90 minutes or and was something. it essentially shot chronologically as well yeah I think it was all shot like chronologically yeah because like, I mean, the, the car has to you know they only got one car and they can mm. only batter it up so many mm. times so it's interesting to see like for some kind of is thinking like how am I going to get this completely on the move film never show up the same bit twice yeah um, it must be really restrictive because of that and also just really freeing going mm. like our, you know, our set our production value is the open road and the American landscape. yeah because it's all shot on location yeah. using real trains as well which I think really adds to the feel of the film the sense of place like you know you really uh, I think it looks really nice the location filming because it just adds that sense of reality to it so what I really appreciated was it kind of deals in broad strokes with the characters just enough to kind of it's just a, it's just beyond stereotypes but it's just enough to kind of so you know where they're coming from so you have Denzel is like the kind of he's doing his hard but fair man of the people thing which he, he just falls effortlessly into yeah. Yeah. and then you've got Pine and it's like all you need to know about him is like he Pine's a newbie he's got a wife he's having trouble with and this is like a tetchy day for him he doesn't need anything bad going on and yeah, Denzel's like stalking yeah and ex <laughs> Right, well, you, it's weird. He's hanging outside of a school watching children to begin with, isn't he? <laughs> so I was like, this wow, is... Wow, what a twist if it would be like she was never his wife. Because <laughs> I swear, whoever's playing his wife, she looks really young. And I, Does she have a single line in this film? I don't think so. Yeah, she's on the phone to him, so... Well, that's your daddy that on the TV. I don't know where she's... Like, towards the end when she's, like, watching everything happening, I, I swear she doesn't say a single anything thing. Like she did, because... Oh, or did she... It'd be a great twist if it was, no, like... she does answer the phone to him at the beginning, doesn't she? No, she turns... She, she hangs yeah, up on him. Yeah, what, what I did... 
well, so they to, don't talk to, to be fair, I don't blame her because I really noted when he phones her at the beginning, the the photo that comes I up on got her this phone. I know. Like, literally, it's, he's in his work uniform. He's in the same uniform that he's wearing in the film, first of all. So I'm like, why is he wearing his, like, work overalls? <laughs> like, only, it's the only clothes he owns. Like, and also, he looks like a fucking nutter in that photo. He, and it looks, it looks like his ID badge for his work. Oh, no, I'm, I'm basically <laughs> saying, like, do you notice when um, uh, she calls him? at the end and her picture comes up on his phone and it's a picture taken from a distance <laughs> right, right, this <laughs> is it conspiracy too, theory too weird Pine like, and his ex-wife oh, don't know each other he's stalking well, it's her it's not ex-wife it's like they're estranged aren't they but it's like it's Surely you've got a better picture of your wife than that one, mate, because it's like definitely taking resistance. She doesn't. She's not looking at the camera. She's getting getting out of a car and like just walking, looking a different way, and that's the picture of his oh, phone. That's like, some last minute like set decoration. Like, oh, yeah, I need well, some photos for this thing. Like I say, that thing of going, yeah, maybe it was a case because this is 2010, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe they'd only just got that thing, where, that device on phones where like a photo comes up and they weren't thinking about it at the last minute. They were like, quickly, right, this stop just photo. Just a screen grab. Pie, like essentially, like, yeah, a screen yeah. grab from him, like hanging outside her house um, <laughs> because like this is a you know this is Pine let's talk a bit about like Pine and like yeah, yeah. he um, yeah we should I mean we should talk about Chris Pine because he is the Star Trek link Indeed. with this film Captain Kirk himself now re- working on a chain <laughs> yeah and he's in charge isn't he but like you know Spock Denzel you know is like the more calm <laughs> measured like you know experienced person he's kind of like the road. he's kind of like you know slowly just like busting his ass like yeah. over the little things he's just like you gotta learn man and yeah. Kirk is like you know got the silver spoon kind of handed down because he's yeah, like a, he's a union boy he's Joey Jojo from the 361 because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the idea isn't it that Pine is the conductor and he's only got that job because like you say his dad is in the union somehow or something like that yeah, and yeah so there is the like it's, it's your name kid you know you'll yeah, be fine it's, it's inferred isn't it that like he's he's not there of his own merit which like he's constantly battling against like to say yeah oh, actually yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I think it, no. I think he's there because he has like he doesn't seem to be good at much other stuff, does he? Like, but Denzel is still showing them the ropes, isn't yeah. he? He's, he's the old hand. Denzel's um, really yeah. good at doing that. Like, you know, I'll t- I'll talk you through rules and share how it's done, but I'll also like take the piss a bit and be just on the edge of like oh, I can't be mad at you, Denzel. You're so <laughs> well. I mean, I Denzel. I mean, is one of the most charismatic yeah. screen presences there has ever been. I mean, I would argue, has Denzel ever given a bad performance? I- I've seen bad movies with him in, yeah, but the he's Bone always... Collector, like, is going to make the TV show? show? Did you hear what? that? What? No. Like, the... I mean, well, the, Everybody's favourite 1999 crime thriller, <laughs> The Bone Collector. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's being made into a TV show. It's like, they really are the, the scraping the barrel. There is this bizarre thing right now of just, like, every single Property, film ever yeah. made getting to a TV show. I mean, funnily enough, I actually was watching uh, The Hunger um, this morning, which is Tony Scott's actual debut. Yeah. They turned that into a fucking TV series. Did they? Oh. Yeah, at one oh. point. Like, yeah, so that was, like, at the beginning. I think that was more in, like, well, naughty. So that's so, the beginning of this. There's so yeah. much, like, love for, like, anything vampire on Netflix, isn't there? I mean, there's probably, like, four or five shows that are all, you know, that true blood, like, filling your true blood hole. I, I, I think, surely, the whole vampire thing, I think it's starting to die out, isn't it? No, they, they're undead. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, but in terms of that's... Is that a big thing now, oh, vampires is big? I mean, I can't... 
it's hard to name like what the big thing is like since twilight finished like you know what's the big thing that branches down from there maybe there isn't one now but no it's, i don't it's think never there gonna is. just go away go away, i mean right? i know they try to bring i know they try to bring buffy back in this mm-hmm. new like reboot kind of thing and doing i'm currently re-watching all of buffy at the moment bring and it just reminds me how beautiful it is and i want them to bring it back Sally to it. New version. Mm-hmm. Um, sabrina the teenage come back oh, yeah, yes. yeah 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 well, which have you watched that i watched the pilot on halloween yeah uh, like, have you watched think. Beyond the Pilot uh, I haven't uh, I've watched the first four it's enjoyable thus far mm. we'll see I'm very ruthless with TV shows these days because mm. there's just so much so much now that if, title. I, if I'm not like it's incredible like I'm like I'm out <laughs> the only one that I'm the only one I'm still going with that maybe doesn't you know fulfills that criteria is Riverdale I, oh, you I still, can't quit you can't, Riverdale you can't quit Riverdale I have quit Riverdale I know but you quit at the wrong time like, the last episode <laughs> It was great. It's this well, insane. Isn't it like now the occult exists in Riverdale. Yeah. So like, perhaps they're, set, they're setting up the crossover between well, Sabrina and Riverdale. Well, the last episode was genuinely great, and it's quite clever because it was a flashback. <laughs> this is now the Riverdale. It's podcast. like yes. So, quick catch on Riverdale. Uh, there's been like a sort of a D and D Dungeons Dragons style game going around, which is like killing people uh, because it's like cult influence, and all the parents of all the main character kids know about it. And the last episode, oh, they've done this flashback. Yeah, episode. so the last oh, episode right. was a flashback episode where all the parents are just played by the actual kids today. So they're all playing like their mum. Well, the, the actors who play their kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's great. Oh, <laughs> I mean, it's my. not great. But yeah, great. I saw some photos from it. It did yeah. tempt me. I might be tempted to watch that one. Yeah, like, seeing. Yeah. Um, Cheryl is like a real kind of like nerd and stuff and like Jughead as his dad going around oh that's great oh anyway. man right okay okay <laughs> Park Riverdale we'll, we'll, we'll get back to what are we talking about <laughs> so Chris Pine like you know oh, yeah. the character like it's not a very likeable character because you know uh, you know we get to know a bit about him we kind of we get, we get to see him kind of in a dodgy situation he's stalking his wife so he's like, turns, up, turns up to work like you know this, uh, and then he kind of um, late again le- yeah he's late <laughs> he's always on the phone he's always on the phone you know, he's, he's not really got his head on the job and Denzel you know who we, we generally just warmed to Denzel straight away anyway like we're just yeah. on his side and sort of like we're with him that this guy's not really taking it seriously these trains are important and um, so you know I find uh, this is the hero that and when we reveal his backstory it becomes like that halfway through that he expects his wife of having an affair um, went after the yeah. wrong guy and then who the wrong guy was actually a cop and then pulled a gun on the cop like well and it's like this guy should be in jail well, like, and also he, he says he didn't hit his wife but he she but pu- he pushed her or no she fell back he, and he almost did he said he, he says oh I didn't hit her but I came very close this is Will Coulson your conductor we're gonna run this bitch down. Going like, yeah. Next uh, like, time. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, this guy doesn't sound stable at all. No, 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 no. There's not much. And I think, you know, what we're saying is like, there'll be a lot more wife beaters out there who just lack. <laughs> the event like the catastrophe to, to prove themselves a hero <laughs> yeah, and redeem yeah. themselves completely I mean that's the thing they you know these people good guys beating up their wives but they just can't have a chance to show it because they does, can't save the his day wife turn, <laughs> his wife doesn't turn up at the end yes, though, does she, she does. does she yeah she still doesn't say anything yeah she runs down and the kid runs over and hugs the dad and it's like okay that's all for, forgotten now right that's fine yeah, 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 that's yeah, an interesting exactly. point but it's also he's proven himself to be completely reckless like by doing this I mean he's like this is more like he's got a death wish <laughs> yeah. You want to get yourself killed, you do it alone. Wait. 
that's only because his his uh, wife and kid left him. Yeah. So now he's saved the train and got him back. Well, there's a the kind of thing of like he knows it's heading to where they live. Unless he thinks she's cheating again. I've well, big fucking trouble. He knows the train is heading to where she lives. So he, there is a little, there's less altruistic approach. He's like, you know, I could say today because it could get me back back in with them, I think, you know. So it's. Oh, of, yeah, it's he heading towards her town, isn't yeah, it? Like, yeah, yeah. So, so are you applying the direct was, light into her house? Are you applying that if it was going to any other town, he'd be like, I'm risking no, my life for this. Fuck it. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Well, yeah, because really, it seems it seems to me, at least watching it, that Denzel is the one leading the charge to go after this train. Mm. Like he seems to be very much the one. Yeah, because no, no, he has to convince Pine because Pine's yeah. like, I'm I'm going to jump off. Exactly. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then well, he, it's Washington yeah. who's the and because there's that amazing bit later on where he's on the phone to like the head of the company and stuff and when Denzel reveals oh you actually already fired me weeks ago and it's like oh he's doing all this even well, though he doesn't have a job yeah because there's a nice little bit of social commentary in the in the film actually because right from the start they're talking about guys getting shit canned every day everything like, which is why they have a little bit of prejudice towards Pine because he's still got his job because of the union and everything mm. like that and like yeah I was almost like oh this is like wire season 2 set on the trains yeah. instead the docks going like yeah. you know and it's that thing of yeah he's really kind of Denzel sticking it to the man at this point isn't it going like yeah. you know that I'm going to do quite an anti-union film actually like, I'm yeah. going to do what's right <laughs> and then like, it's yeah. also anti-health and safety like because they have like, the guy from the health and safety board who uh, they, they treat like a piece of shit like he's just I'm just here to do my inspections like just take care of that guy. Well, why did you bring him in here? <laughs> like, you know, just, we don't need no health and safety. Now worry about that runaway train. <laughs> so, like you know, he turns out to be a expert, doesn't he? Like, which is you know, he has this moment where he adds something to the procedures, like, oh no, this, uh, yes, this won't yeah, work. Yeah, like, yeah. you have to throttle it back and forth a bit to get it. Oh yeah, the braking technique. Yes, braking yeah, technique, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's the the other dude with the ponytail, isn't there? And kind of like, oh, who I kept, amazing. Who I kept thinking. I, I think for some reason I kept looking at him and going is that Spike is that uh, well no I kept looking at him going is that Bradley Cooper in disguise in terms of like he under loads of like hair to make ugly himself up or something like that because in my head I was going like the time period where he's done it yeah 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 yeah, yeah. he would have only had hangover behind him basically yeah exactly exactly well that guy's hilarious I I spent the whole time thinking what is this guy's job he just seems to hang around near his car in case he needs to be called up to drive after a train well yeah he's just harassing waitresses wasn't he like it was a thing although it did make me laugh at the end when he's waiting for Pine to do the final jump on the train he's just like do it you pussy (laughs) oh by the way what you know Denzel's daughters in the film work at Hooters yeah I know I said my note here is is this 1998 married sort of it's a long story how about you you married got two beautiful daughters and we're like cutting back to Hooters all the time everything like that which I swear isn't when it does cut back to Hooters, it doesn't seem how Hooters is meant to be in my mind. Because the whole the weird meant thing to be in my mind. Well, no, the, the, well, no the weird <laughs> thing with the weird thing with Hooters in America, the impression I get is it's actually like meant to be like a family restaurant, but that has bucks and waitresses with their tits in your face like the whole time. It's a really odd juxtaposition. Whereas when they if they cut back to them, it looks like it's in the middle of like a club or something like that. I, yeah, I think it may be sort of like, it looks more carroty ugly than yes. a, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. a, a family friendly thing. No, I've, I've always thought it was more of an adult affair. Yeah, yeah well, I, I, I thought so as well, but apparently not. Is it not another not. level of meta commentary about his kids also in an industry which is basically disappearing? Well, this is the whole thing because I saw that and was like, oh, that's obviously a studio note. Right. Uh, like, uh, getting but the it's, it's weird. daughters working at Hooters. 
Well, they must be so glad of the publicity because they they basically have closed down loads of stores in America. Yes, like, yeah, 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 locations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's uh, having to reinvent and go. Oh, people are find the movie's a bit uncomfortable these days. Mm. So we'll have to kind of rebrand yeah. slightly. It's just you know. Are it, you saying what? that this is also part of the true story? It is. <laughs> He's the the real guy's daughters, and the guy was a he was an advisor on the film as well. Uh-huh. The real guy's daughters both worked to Hooters. Huh. And the bits at Hooters are shot on location at real Hooters as well. Like the actual Hooters, and like yeah, but that's but there's a mad little bit of it because you watch it, and it's so weird that you go like it's one of those moments that when you find out it's true, you're almost like that seems so weird that almost you shouldn't have put it in because it doesn't seem true. Well, it's that film trope, isn't it, of the cutting back to the concerned family members watching a disaster unfold on TV? That happens all the time. So to have it just happen in Hooters seems almost like a gag about that yeah. whole trope yeah yeah it's another real thing another piece of authenticity no i think it, this film but it did lead you know lead to one of the biggest laughs in the film where like like denzel keeps saying hooters like to try and just get a, a rise out of pine just sit, like get to laugh you know because it's, like, it's okay you can laugh i will have a joke with you about this it's i appreciate it's, it's just it's not it's not, it's not it's not kind of what i'd want for my daughters like you know but you it's, know it's like well it is it's funny but yeah between the hooters scenes and the estranged wife scenes it does feel like all those scenes of the concerned family members watching from afar have just been stripped back to nothing you know me not being able to remember the wife saying a single line the daughters barely say anything especially when they're in actual Hooters just watching and that's the stuff that in any other film would be expanded upon and that's what would bump up to two hours I think whereas here it's just like yes they're here they're watching we're yeah no well this is what would be in the Towering Inferno in the 70s you know which would take it over two hours long it would be like everybody needs a fucking massive backstory and you know and, and of course the fire wouldn't break out to like 40 minutes in you know because you'd have like so many kind of slow scenes mm. you know to sort of prep it well their backstories are done with real economy aren't yeah. they in terms that's of what like you say economy, yeah. it's the fact that you know while they're on this journey it just uses it almost turns it into an odd road trip style film with them kind of you know like you say just chatting um, in the in the front car kind of thing as they're trying to catch up with this train and everything yeah. like that it's like there's nothing else to do mm. um, while at least they're just trying to catch up with it until the real action kind of starts this is an all American movie isn't it I mean it's like, like the hooders go everything but also this wouldn't work in, in England because we just turn the power off like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well I mean you know, a train would never go that fast in England. <laughs> it would be delayed, wouldn't it? It would never turn up at its destination. So, I mean, you know, you wouldn't have to worry about it. Yeah. And with the amount of engineering works in the way... Yeah, our version is what I'm chasing down a replacement bus service. Like. I, mean, so, I mean, as soon as that, tra- as soon as that unmanned train saw a leaf on the track, it fucking stopped. <laughs> like, <laughs> unforeseen circumstances. Unforeseen leaf, dead man's trigger. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, this whole kind of Americana feeling, I mean, that's where I got... Americana. Yeah, that's where I got the Peter connections because you know he's a guy who does these especially recently true stories about blue collar workers versus adversaries and tense oh, this is deep deep water horizon that's deep, it, uh, yeah it? uh deep water horizon uh patriot's day uh, i mean yeah patriot's day very much lone survivor lone there's survivor. those those that true stories but trilogy. certainly definitely deep water survivor yeah um is no, not deep water survivor <laughs> 
Deepwater Horizon. Lone Horizon? Is, uh, <laughs> Sounds like a swimming lesson. Uh, Deepwater Patriots Lone <laughs> Survivor Horizon. Um, that that film kind of very much is about that, isn't it? It's about yeah. real people in a... It's another thing where it's like, actually, that's a bigger kind of corporate kind of story as well, but actually yeah. it's about the blue-collar so workers. It, it feels yeah. like that element of Peter Berg stuff mixed with like Michael Bay, basically, and mm. it's not surprised that they both come out of Jerry mm. Bruckheimer... Um, relationships, mm. you know, Tony Scott and uh, Michael Bay, obviously very different in tone and content, but the you know the style, the flashiness, the the, the focus on these types of characters, they're they're not too far apart, I don't think. But I do think I don't know. There's something about this that I think kind of has the edge over kind of you know Bay and Berg in the sense of you really, really end up liking those characters. I mean, even... Uh, I think you even end up liking Pine's character because Pine, I think he's a charming actor. Um, but also, I think through his friendship that builds with Washington's character kind of rubs off on him. Yeah. And so you do end up rooting for those guys. Yeah. And, you know, and I do think there is... There's just a... You know, like I say, there, there's just a care taken with the characters in this to make them feel real. And I think because of that, you know, it doesn't feel... It, it feels like Tony Scott is holding back his own style in order to service the story. Yeah. And, you know, I think considering it ended up being his final film, uh, I think that's a really actually nice full stop on his career. Yeah. And, and I, I think the brevity of which it spends time with every other character outside of the main kind of trio uh, puts everyone on a level playing field. So it means even characters you only see briefly, you have the same amount of, like, humanity and involvement with. So Ethan Soupley is the guy who, like, cocks up at the beginning... Uh, TJ Miller. Oh yeah, we like, got yeah. Every, everybody, TJ Madman Miller. Yeah, famed abuser TJ Miller. Every, everybody you see is kind of you have the same level of investment with. It's all like low, but it's all there. So it means everybody you see is there for a purpose, and you connect with them in certain ways. Yeah. Who was the actress playing the uh, sort of like the, the, the operations? Rosario team? Dawson. Yeah. Rosario Dawson. Who's all, also always brilliant. Yeah, she was really good in this, um, and she yeah she had the unfortunate thing she had to deliver that line, which I think you know was the pure trailer line for this film. But you oh, know, I but, thought you meant the bit at the end when she comes in and goes like, "Who do I kiss first? Like, <laughs> which is really weird. I love that. Uh, yeah, Desel got me. me? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Get out of the way, fine. <laughs> Go think, back to your wife. Oh yeah, she's still got a restraining order. Yeah, she, <laughs> she even is your wife. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just I think you know her back and forth with the the, the bosses. You know where she's t like you know oh, those assholes. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, Just yeah. like you know, got with their plan for a derailer, which is a big point for me which I wanted to bring up which is how silly the, the derailleur actually ended up being so basically the, the plan is to, to sort of bring the train to a like a, a, a well basically be easy to derail it in the middle of nowhere so it causes a big explosion but nowhere near civilization mm. and they do this by like hammering little things to the, the tracks along a bit which will take the track the train off the tracks and it will just slide to a, you know a, a big crash on the side but it will be somewhere controlled now the derailleur they always say it's not going to work and when you see in action you're like well of course it won't work because <laughs> it just goes through like a town well they, they, some reason they put the derailleur near a track the town anyway so it's kind of like well it's going to derail next to all these cop cars and people and it just go it, obviously the train goes straight through it and it all just destroys loads of things and like uh, police cars get broken but um i just think i've got a better derailleur why don't you just take some track out <laughs> <laughs> But that's you know that's a lot simpler. You know, Rather just sort of than get putting some attachments to, to the track, track, yeah, just take the track out. It's not going to jump it like the bus and speed. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be derailed. So 
Whoa. It, it's a bit of a plot hole. The derailer. Real. Real. Oh, again, real. The real life stories destroying all our plots. Also, the police, there's the hilarious bit where the police will kind of randomly shoot at the train. Yeah. Because they try to shoot an emergency fuel cut off switch. And there's Next a fuel tank, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. they actually show on the news show, like, this is what they would kind of shoot, stupid police. Like, you know, it's a tiny little kind of, like, thing. All true. Well, Again. It's, well I love this. It's classic Americana, just shoot before you know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. But that's what I mean, in the sense of these, th that bit is, is hilarious. And so this... Or true story I can see why they wanted static because it actually got lots of things in it which are just kind of like great see, they seem like out of a movie kind of thing completely yeah. or out of a kind of silly movie mm -hmm. and they're just like yeah let's, let's go for it because it's all true we've got the backup there like um, I mean yeah, as I say, it's it's kind of impressive how well it sits in real life because the local paper actually reviewed this film um, and said, it's predictably exaggerated and dramatised to make it more entertaining, but close enough to the real thing to support the inspired by true events announcement that flashes across the screen at the start. And it was just like, they're literally kind of minor differences that are there going like you know it's all it's all pretty small um so you know i do think it, it is impressive how if you consider how big the film could have gone and i think seeing the actual original trailer for it you think it was going to be just like they're going to throw so much in its way i mean the, yes, the, 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 yeah, know, the, yeah, yeah. the obligatory train full of children yes is, is dealt yeah, with quite, yeah, yeah. quite early yeah. on actually yeah exactly it? well because i think when you watched like you said when you see the trailer it makes it just look like it's a series of things they're about to ram into yeah and like you know there's like a box of puppies some orphan children <laughs> stuff like, like and it's like but actually when you watch the film it, no, it seems, all goes quite naturally yeah it, it does unfolds. seem just natural I, like you said, I think I think the busload of kids is yeah. a little bit on the nose. Uh, that uh, that doesn't appear to be true. By I the mean, way. there's only but, you know there's only that bit really when that car on the caravan, the RV gets stuck on the line with the horse. They get oh, the horse they out. do get horsey out of the way. So that's the only thing it really smashes through. That's like so, you know civilian thing. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But the first main kind of set piece of. Denzel's mate trying to stop it that's maybe the most cinematic it gets in terms of Hollywood eyes where he ends up derailed and exploded and stuff which, yeah 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 which well, is a really it. great set piece there Oh yes, where they try and uh, uh, basically put the um, Navy SEAL guy like on the uh, yeah onto the train. Oh, again, true. Oh, yeah, oh, I like. And, and well, it got his back broken by lots of things, didn't it? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, that fit. Uh, it's it seemed even though again it is true, but it seemed like something from The Simpsons, didn't it? Like in terms of like you know <laughs> you could imagine that as a kind of like animated. You mean, you, know, mean the, you mean the way he tried smashed <laughs> and then they haul him off again? He's just like limp. <laughs> Yeah. It so seemed like something from The Simpsons that you would see, like to the point that I was imagining in my mind animated in a Simpsons episode. Like, Funny, yeah. I, this this like, the Simpsons quote did come to mind about this film, which is like, "Mr. Burns, your campaign has the philosophy of a runaway freight train. How do you remain so popular?" He runs for it's, governor. It's, well, Lisa, I'll tell you. That, it's a, it's a blind question. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Man, absolutely brilliant. But I mean, well, I suppose they, they did do Runaway Train, didn't they? With uh, the monorail, monorail yeah. episode. Monorail. Yeah. Oh, I needed yeah. a giant donut to stop this thing. <laughs> and Leonard Nimoy
Um, you know, I mean, I think it would definitely be nice to it's, have... It, yeah, it kind of feels like the film they don't really make anymore, because it does yeah. feel like a 70s yes. disaster film, kind of yeah. done up, brought up to date, doesn't it? You're you right. know, yeah. The villain is the the train the the yes. runaway train there's yeah, no there's yeah, no yeah. I mean you've got corporate overlords but really they are they have the same goal in mind they just want the train to stop with the minimum amount of things just their competing priorities about like you know they've got their they don't want to nuke the site from orbit because this is a multi million dollar installation yeah. um, <laughs> and uh, you know they they're thinking more about money whereas these other guys are thinking about like we just need to get this thing out of the way um, you know and that, that's that's it's just greed is like the real villain there isn't it but um, yeah because it's the whole thing of they don't want their train damage they care more about that yeah than you know anything else which is, which, which is crazy you know but, but again I suppose real and yeah uh, yeah no very much so and so yeah so. I think it was you know as good as this film had every right to be like yeah I, I agree um, we're still a bit about the epilogue um, you know where it tells us in a kind of like very I don't know what, what kind of era this feels like it's that suddenly like, goes for a weird tonal shift doesn't it's it it's a tonal shift because at the end of the movie after the, the day has been saved spoiler alert um, you know you kind of see what people are doing now so like um, Denzel retires on full pay gets his bonus Pine's still working uh, gets back with his wife and now they've got another baby on the way uh, yeah it's okay um, and uh, but then but he also pulled a gun on another cough <laughs> yeah. but then you know the guy who actually caused the incident in the in the in the original uh, so the guy who got out the train and the whole reason this whole thing started he's now working in the fast food industry oh yeah well it's a really weird bun because it's like you know fast food workers you know get a lot of shit from a lot of people you know <laughs> yes. no way that's what you're good for. Like, you know, terrible contracts, abuse from the public, you know, no respect, and now a diss from Tony Scott. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This and, is and, a working and if you class see compliance, fuck it up. I know, it's just like, it's basically just saying, you're shit if you end up in fast yeah, food yeah, industry. Yeah, yeah. I can like, imagine so, someone who works at like KFC watching this movie and the whole way being I like... I just made Team Leader. <laughs> the whole way through you're saying like... You got rewarded? For the, <laughs> the whole way through just being like... Oh, this film's about me and my people, you know, blue collar of America. We're all we're doing the hard work around here. Then right at the end, it's like this loser in the fast food. It's like what? <laughs> I know. I thought it was a really like uh, it was a bit of a swipe. Really, I didn't like that. I mean, it was much. yeah. Was that? I assume that was true as well. I, I don't. I don't know. I haven't. I think I've got the information. Because I was kind of feeling here, sorry. For no, no. In fact, I don't believe that the person. Well, the he's guy, got death on his conscience, essentially. Yeah. Mm. The, the guy who really. Um, fucked up. His name has never been disclosed by the company. Yeah. So they uh, they presumably they do not actually know in reality. So this was a made up punishment. As so well. yeah, they, they, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's basically Tony Scott saying I need like you know to like make that guy suffer somehow. I know I'll give him a job. <laughs> yeah, like, they just decided or something like that. Yeah. Like you know, or just like he shot himself. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that would be a weird like like come down where it's like day is saved, everyone's happy endings. It's like oh that guy, gun in his mouth. I thought that, I thought there might actually be a scene where he because he's there watching everything unfold like like it's some kind of soccer game, and you know he's watch, with all the guys back at the ranch. You know they're watching this runaway train going. Come on, come on, let's save this train. You know oh, and yeah, he's, yeah, he's yeah. invested his money because he wants to like get away yeah. from this. But even after a guy has died to stop this train. It, they don't really kind of acknowledge that. It, I mean, it's weird. They don't really talk about like what his relationship to uh, Denzel was, unless you saw him in the beginning. I don't. Do he they know each other. Like, I don't. Goes, who was it? It was like John Masterson. 
and it's like you know uh, oh Johnny boy like sort of <laughs> they don't really they assume like Denzel knew him like he's like an old guy on the tracks as well like you know he's been there forever um, yeah 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 that's I mean, what you infer no... from it but there's no real kind of like they don't really care I mean Denzel knew the guy who died didn't he because they were chatting at the start yes. oh that's yeah. what I'm trying to get I didn't yeah. I didn't see him at the start yeah, yeah oh. it's, it's the oh, guy yeah, yeah. yeah the guy who died no, I thought you were talking about the guy who fucked up and no 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 no, no yeah no the guy who died is the one who said like Oh, we don't want to babysit you to pine. He's like, oh, I don't want to work in a retirement home. They right, right, okay, that's fine then. I, yeah, I mean, kind of been a scene at the end with Denzel like coming across Ethan Supley, the guy who fucked up, and just like punching him while <laughs> like, that's for my dead mate, you scum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That could have been his epilogue thing. Like he got bad by Denzel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, is like yeah, or they could have done a bit more uh, social commentary and had at the end kind of go, and this guy. He ended up running the company. <laughs> but, um, you know... He had a runaway success. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, you never really see him getting any kind of, like... Uh, does he Come get reprimanded in the film? Not really. He, he just, just looks a bit upset Just, just in the bar, isn't he? Hanging out with TJ Miller. Well, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, everybody's, like, basically going to get fired at the end of this film because they break so many rules. <laughs> yeah. also, Pine does leap from a, a moving car with a broken foot, doesn't he? Mm. Yeah, well, he does... Credibility slightly. Well, I mean, he does play it very much as it hurts a lot still but you know just what with the guy in the driver's seat like <laughs> you jump and apparently Pine did perform all his own stunts in oh, the uh, film uh, whereas Denzel had seven stunts <laughs> like uh, although apparently Denzel was entirely green <laughs> yeah, no apparently he did perform some stunts Denzel but he, he needs some stuntmen because they wouldn't they you know Takes a lot of money to ensure Denzel. Well, it's a great shot seeing him on top of the train after Pines finally made it on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, with his arms up, like, which Rrr! apparently he was really freaking out about. Like, yeah, he's actually got kind of like fear of kind of like heights. Of runaway trains. Like, yeah, of runaway trains. Yeah, <laughs> I had to do so, you know, to my he, he, He's like, he's going for it. He's going for it. But um, yeah, I uh, I really enjoyed this movie. Uh, I would give it three and a half stars on mm. Letterboxd, our favourite movie website of choice. Uh, what about you yeah I, I'm gonna give it four four, four stars, yeah. stars. It, it's it's just you know from the second you start to decide to watch it you're in it's the sort of film I think if you flicked on through on TV you'd be in it to the end oh yeah because yeah, yeah. it, it's got such a pace and you'd be like that doesn't happen anymore though. exactly <laughs> but it's got such a pace and you'd be like oh it's all gonna be over soon because it's such a short film anyway um, and yeah it feels like an extended climax like the sustained tension throughout is a it's a hard thing to last even as long as this because of the pacing and the way it adds the elements of the danger going up with all the constant uh stuff going on anyway it just keeps it at a real high point um and yeah it does and i think that's where the the not kind of getting involved with the other secondary characters that much makes it feel like this is the third act of a bigger film where we're just seeing this so in that kind of structure it's really uh, impressive um so yeah four stars Oh, what about you, Matt? Oh, uh, Paul? I, I think it's very fun. I give it three stars. I just think it's like a, okay. It's, yeah, I mean that's the, that's a good for me. That is a good. That's, I good, think that's good. a three, three and a half, four. Or yeah. a, literally, slide a runaway train of our own towards four stars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I think it, it because because I got a few like you know the, the funny the things that tend to be true like were well, kind of bits to me where like oh that's a bit of a stretch but like uh, yeah now uh, like, oh, yeah oh, I was like oh, 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 oh,
Well, one, one did. One Everyone. did, yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah, uh, that was a good Not enough characters. Were, were, were <laughs> yeah. And I know, yeah. I just put such a weird thing having like Pine's character, like this kind of very unlikable thing. I think in yeah, the, that's really interesting. In the context of like the Me Too era, I just feel like this wouldn't play now. I wonder how it would no. be if they went harder with him and made him more of a shit. Like explicitly, and yeah. then yeah, somehow... the thing is, like, it's like giving him like some really fucking horrible things I've done, but also plays him like a hero too much. I think mm. there's like it needs to be, you know, a bit more, yeah, like that into, yeah. the, into mm. the hard because camp. He has more of a redemption story. Like he's fully admits to his like faults. And yeah, that, so. and it's interesting because him and Denzel, they're at odds sort of, but all before they get involved in the stopping the train. Once they're on that mission for the second half of the film. They're pretty much a team, so there's not much conflict or, or tension between the two of them. It would have been could have been interesting if they were arguing about what to do or what one wanted to do, but they were both like, yeah, we're in on this, we'll help out. And yeah. so it becomes very straight line through uh, in who's saving the day here, when they could have been, I don't know. Yes, yeah. Or maybe, maybe that would have made it to Hollywood if they were like getting into fights themselves on the train or something. I mean, I wonder if the, um, the, the guy that Pine is based on... I wonder if that backstory with him is is true or not. Like, I don't know. Like because you would have thought that if it isn't, if that's completely untrue, that the real guy might be like, hey, wait a minute, what are you, <laughs> like, you saying? I never did any of this. Like, well, yeah. was he the one that was an advisor or the, the Denzel? Uh, Denzel is mm. de- the the guy, the real uh, Denzel, who uh, was called Jesse Knowlton. Mm. And yeah, he's the one whose daughters worked at Hooters and everything like that. He was an engineer. Um, but yeah, the guy, there were two people in the car, and I think that's all true, but I don't, and the other guy was a conductor, all right. but I don't know whether his backstory in this is true. Okay, well, here's a quick question for you guys. I think you would have seen all of these, or you might have one of these left out. This right. was the fifth and obviously final time that Denzel and Tony Scott work together. Hmm. Rank the Denzel Scott collabs. Well, I have a list here of all of yeah. Tony Scott's films uh, yeah. because I thought it would be nice for us just to have a look through his kind of career, give our kind of little, little kind of passing thoughts on uh, films and stuff like that. But uh, in regards to Denzel collabs, We've got, so got Crimson Tide, Crimson Tide, Man on Fire, Man on Fire, Deja Vu, Deja Vu, Taking a Peckham, Ta- Taking a Power <laughs> One Two, Taking Peckham, <laughs> Taking a Power One Two Three, and our support. I haven't seen Deja Vu. That's the one. It, it, it's yeah. the only Tony Scott film I haven't seen. You have seen it. Right? I have seen it. Yeah, I'd recommend you it. You recommend it? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's good. It's, solid film. it's kind of like it's the kind of only film he could kind of make. Like it does feel like it's so much high concept going on in there, but his visual style and just. You know, again, Denzel bringing it along. It's the only way it gets sold. Like, mm. is, is the way it gets presented. Almost, I can't see that in anybody else's hands and coming coming out. Would you say it. a bit of a hidden gem? Because not many people talk about it. Like, um, I would I'd say it's it's just like. I think it's worth saying, definitely. I, yeah. I would say it's a gem of any description. No. But I, I mean, it's weird because it's like uh, I remember seeing the trailer in the cinema and immediately being put off because I think at yeah. the time it's straight after Domino, yeah. which I would say Domino probably Scott's lowest point as a director for me. Um, where, so Deja Vu, when I saw the trailer for that, not only was I, I was like, "Oh, Tony Scott just coming off Domino," but also just the entire the title of the film like mm. almost seemed like a joke at the time. I think it's like two thousand six. It's only kind of like seven years down the line from like the Matrix kind of thing, where it's like deja vu glitch in the Matrix. You're still thinking of it that way. It's like when it came up the time, like deja vu. You were just like, it just sounds like a joke movie. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, like real kind of thing. But I've, I, I have actually critically, 
only ever heard good things yeah, about it. Yeah, because Unstoppable, like, I think, you know, wasn't, I don't think a big, was it a big studio film? I can't remember. Uh, it was a big studio film. I mean, because it looks like it could easily be like a Sharknado kind of How much do you think it cost? Yeah. How much do you think this film cost? 60 million? 100 million. Wow. 100 million. Yeah. Now, yeah. I, despite the fact the practical effects in it are really amazing, I think. However, I don't think it looks like a film that should have cost 100 million dollars. No. no. Uh, Not when half of it's in like a control room. But no. yeah, and Denzel would have, would have Counted for a size of that chunk, I imagine. He counted for 20 million. Yeah, uh, I mean, so a fifth goes on, and apparently they did try and get Denzel to take a pay cut, and he was not fucking having it. Like, like, yeah, it's like Washington 18, no pay cut. And Tony Scott, actually, I didn't realize he commanded this much as a director, but apparently his his price tag as a director at the time was like 9 million. Like, and I think he. May have taken a small pay cut for it to allow for Denzel to so keep. We can rule that money worries. Is this a well? I mean, <laughs> it's lucky they got pine when they did because now, of course, in the wake of Star Trek Four, we know that pine would be kind of wanting his his. Well, maybe he well. got Denzel on the phone and was like, "You've done this. What should I do?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold out. Hold I, out. I would disagree because I think Pine actually has quite a nod to like what kind of films he wants to make. You look at something like uh, Hell and High Water. I don't think yeah. he commands a big fit. He's doing that because he enjoys the work and enjoys work with Dave McKenzie true, yeah. you know I think so what you're saying I is think he, he fucking hates when you Star Trek films well no I think he knows <laughs> like, like he, the, mo- the money's there for Paramount like this yes. is a franchise yeah, film yeah, this yeah. is where he's going to make his payday yeah. and then he could afford to do one, yeah. one for me one for them yeah. that's probably the best yeah, way of doing yeah, it if you are yeah. doing one for me one for you get as much money as you can from the one for them and then do the ones for you as cheap as yeah, you can I yeah I suppose the thing so, is, yeah. like, they're out of contract now I assume because they are out of contract um, because it's like you know he's done his three and if they want to get another one they should, it should be payday for mm-hmm. all of them I think they had the same thing with the original crew in the 80s where they renegotiate every time they did a new movie um, that whole um, Kevin um, what's his name um, um, insert name of person later on Kevin um, what's his name for, for which he did as a stand-up comedian like Kevin Jans Kevin Pollock so okay. yeah, oh, uh, well, we we included to in the comedy of uh, Trek like uh, podcast that Kevin Pollock did a great stand up routine where he he basically acted out all of the original crew being recast as like acts of the day. But he said the whole thing came about is like they couldn't get them back for Star Trek Five because they all asking for too much money, and uh, what they would do. Um, so it's not wouldn't be the first time in history that they've had this problem. Um, I think just pay them to be honest. Uh, it, yeah, I mean, when it sounds like it's only Pine that's kicking up a fuss as well. Well, no, Hemsworth as well oh, yeah, well, you can lose best. Hemsworth I, yeah. yeah you just say yeah. like, lose Hemsworth. Hemsworth yeah yeah, 100% because I, I you know Chris Hemsworth is great but you don't need him for Star Trek because that's you, you need him for that particular story yeah just don't do I story. just don't do that story get rid of Hemsworth give Pine the money uh, he wants and get on with it kind of thing and do a different story mm-hmm. like you know get back in the writer's room go, and, go straight you know, to the town I, I think the, the Hemsworth <laughs> the thing that is the Hemsworth thing uh, clearly came about as a way Beyond wasn't massively financially successful Successful, and they were obviously thinking, how do we get more bums in seats? Oh, we, we potentially, we've got Hemsworth because he played George Kirk in Star Trek. We can get him back. But if, you know, if you're, the idea is to make more money, if they're going to spend extra buck on Hemsworth, that's kind of counterproductive, isn't it? Yeah. Like, because it takes a risk. In regards to ranking the uh-huh. Scott Washington collabs, I haven't seen Deja Vu, um, but personally, I would go bottom place, uh, Man on Fire. Uh, then after that, uh, what was it? It's oh, then taking a Pearl Hamon two three, 
then Unstoppable and Crimson Tide at the top. I would agree with number one, but like, Man on Fire number five, absolutely not. Number yeah. two for me, uh, three for Unstoppable and four Deja Vu. Because mm-hmm. Bellum I have not seen, but I, you know, I love the original one. I think that's why it's the last one of them that, that those to see is because just I can't see it getting done any better. Um, I think the domino hate is justified. Yes. I think like, yeah, the Crimson Tide one is probably my favorite Tony Scott film overall. Oh, favorite Tony Scott film overall? Not true romance? No, I think because um, it's missing Christopher Walken in the last act. Yes, that's true. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah, a big yeah. miss for me. You set this amazing scene with him and yeah. he doesn't come back. And in the elite scenes, he comes back one scene but it's not in the, the end either. Yes. It just feels yeah, like yeah, yeah. he needs to be there at the showdown. Like, Well, let's have a little rundown of, yeah. of Scott's kind of career. Hunger. Have okay. we all seen that? Well, basically, yeah. single-handedly responsible for the Total Eclipse of the Heart video. <laughs> what's this? Yeah, have you seen... What's the name? Belinda Carlisle? That's not Belinda yeah. Carlisle. Uh, Bonnie, 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 Bonnie yeah. Tyler... Potato Clips of the Heart, like, if you've ever seen the video, it's, like, set in this big mansion, like, at night with lots of, kind of, like, really moody lighting. Um, the Hunger's last 25 minutes are, like, in a mansion with lots of moody lighting. Right, Basically, The Hunger is visually um, amazing, and it sort of sets yes. the, the tone for the rest of the 80s, almost. It's an 83. Very concept. stylish. A very, I mean, visually, yeah. it's an impressive debut. Yes. And uh, Bowie's, you know, fine in it, isn't uh, he? Good. He is, but I, I think Bowie is wasted mm. because it's basically within five minutes he's he's going. It's about it's a vampire film, um, but a very a very odd kind of vampire film. And within five minutes he's kind of drastically aging, mm. and you know, so you get Bowie's beautiful visage getting destroyed, <laughs> like, and then he's kind of like out of the film, and it's just. Yeah, I, I think if you get Bowie in a film, you, you've got to... You yeah, know, I was just a, I was a misstep for me it. that he's not in it as much as he yeah, should be. Yeah, um, yeah. But Catherine Deneuve and uh, uh, the other lady... Susan Sarandon. Susan Sarandon. A famous lesbian love scene in that film between Excellent. them. Great like, stuff. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Fuss us. Like, uh, <laughs> the Hunger, yeah. Like, it's definitely worth a look, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I think, as, like I said, I think it's a debut, and it's interesting you talk about Total Clips Heart, because, of course, Tony Scott came from a music video kind of background yeah. with uh, commercials and stuff like that. I think The Hunger very much has that kind of influence. Um, there's been a lot of talk actually about how uh, Tony Scott was in a kind of school of filmmakers who came from music videos and commercials, like the first kind of lot really that came from that world and they were hired because they had some you know, stylish pizzazz. Mm-hmm. I think The Hunger very much is an example of that kind of slightly style over substance kind of filmmaking. Um, and then after that is Top Gun. Uh, what second film? I Have mean... we all seen Top Gun? <laughs> Matt, you've not seen Top Gun? Don't think I have. You presume that you're gonna spot. you're gonna watch it in advance of Top yeah. Gun Two Maverick. I may as well say now, like Tony Scott's quite a, a blind spot for me because I've only really seen Last Boy Scout, but like twenty years ago, uh, True Romance, Crimson Tide, Man on Fire, and Unstoppable. So wow. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Goodness. That's that's quite. That, I mean, Top Gun is like I can't believe you've not seen Top Gun. I know. It, it's, yeah. I've, I've seen it so many times. I can't watch. I have no perspective on it. I can't believe you've not seen it being friends with Paul. Yeah. I know. Just well, because it seems like I watched it way too many times. It's one of those things yeah. where you may have put on segments or scenes, know the music, know the iconography, but I don't think I've ever sat down, begin to end, and watched the whole thing. I couldn't tell you what. The story is other than like, but I bet you guess crews and pilots are <laughs> falling out. It's about crews being a Top Gun. And, well, you know, and his name's Maverick. So, what do you think that means? Yeah. Oh, he's a loose cannon. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've got to be honest. I do want to watch Top Gun again in advance of the sequel coming out. Um, 
just because I, I'm not a big fan of Top Gun. I'm not a big fan. Um, I think it's a silly, silly film. And I mean, it's funny. I watched Days of Thunder recently, um, which is another Tony Scott film with Tom Cruise, uh, which basically is Top Gun, but with kind of racing instead yeah. of... Yeah, and also the most boring kind of racing, NASCAR. Um, sorry to <laughs> any NASCAR fans but out there. But it looks great in the movie. Well, yeah, it's still going around in circles, though, isn't it? <laughs> and it just, just like the plot. Yeah, and it just feels like, you know, it's a better spectator sport because, of course, you just sit in your seat and you can see the whole race. But, like, <laughs> uh, you know, it's no... I mean, yeah, it just. I think the sport does not translate to the screen. Yeah, um, but it's weird for me that Days of Thunder, I mean, is often talked about as if it's one of the worst films ever made. Like, oh, I mean, certainly gets, not. Like, it gets it's... really, really hard. And I don't agree. When I watched it, I was like... It's about as is same it, as Top Gun. Is it like, cars, yeah. but with humans, not anthropomorphic cars? No, it is. <laughs> No, is it like Pixar's cars in terms of plot? Yeah. I think, I'm not oh, saying right, is it oh, literally yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> monster cars, <laughs> yeah. Tom Cruise voices one. Uh, yeah, that's how it should well, have been. We're skipping Beverly Hills Cop 2, which um, I think is a, you know not very good, because I, I liked it as a kid, but then I, as, as I become a bigger fan by the year of the original, like this film changes it. Like, <laughs> saying as I became a big boy. Yeah, that's what I thought you were saying. When I was a big boy, uh, you know, I realised that it's just all ego, like it's Eddie yeah. Murphy at his most egotistical. Like he completely changes the character of Axel Foley, who's big step down from the original. Yeah, he's got like the opening title is just like so flash. Like where he's got like this sports car in Detroit, and like he's wearing like you know really a designer stuff. He's got shades, and the, and even Billy, played by Judge Reinhold, now is a gun nut, and it was like completely different to what his character was in the first movie. Uh, the villains in it, I think, are very much a Tony Scott influence. Like, yeah, these kind of blonde bombshell women, aren't they? Kind well, it's like, Bridget yeah. Nielsen, isn't it? Like, oh, is it Bridget uh, Nielsen? Well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Blonde bombshell. Like, I, uh, I think it's only just the one. I, I, and I think, oh, I think right, it's okay. uh, Jurgen Pronschow, um, you know, from Das Boot. Is the other bad right. guy in it, right. and I, you know I don't remember much about it. To be honest, other than there's a, a, a obligatory trip to the Playboy Mansion, where so <laughs> yeah. Hugh Hefner and another strip club. Yeah, and Hugh Hefner can get his like cameo in, and uh, oh, is the Hef in it? The is Hef's it? in it, I oh, think. Pretty God. sure they go to a party. It's one good library. Says so like, you know, well, where do you go? Well, follow your dick. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the one good, really, really good Beverly Hills Cop film is the first one, isn't it? I thought you were going to say part three. You know what? I think I prefer part three to this. Yeah, part three actually is. I think, yeah, I've I got a lot of love for part three. I think three. it's got music moments. Is that the one with George Lucas in it? Yeah, yeah. it's the one that's set in a theme park. Right. Yeah. And, like, you know, I think it's, it's, got, like, it's got fun stuff in it. Yeah, it's John Landis' film. Like, you know, yeah, it's got the return of Serge. Uh, bringing along a get blaster full of like missile launchers. <laughs> yeah, and that's stuff. really funny. Like, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm an apologist for Beverly Hills got free, but yeah, two <laughs> is definitely the weak point of the franchise. Revenge, which I think only I've seen. Yeah, which I, I you know, I wish I'd watched in, in preparation, but I wouldn't have to get a hold of it. And you did let offer me this DVD. Yes, said, take I did. it. And, yes, and it's like, please take it before I burn it. Like, well, yeah. yeah, it reminded me of finding the Exorcist two. <laughs> Under the floorboards of a house I lived in. Uh, what? Wait, what yeah, did you find? Is this real? A VHS of Exodus 2 under there. And it was like basically like, you know, the demon Bazuzu had decided to put it under there to sort of like, you know, the unsuspecting person put this in the video player and have two hours of absolute shite. I think watch. this is like Mark Kermo's worst film ever made. Yeah. Isn't it like uh, Exodus is his favourite? Yeah, Exodus 2 is his worst favourite. It might be that we found a loose floorboard and I put it in there for the next person to find, actually. Uh, it's <laughs> one way around. That's a very specifically different memory. Um, but yeah, I. I don't like Not the film Revenge at all. Uh, it te- Is that I, Costner? It's Costner. And uh, Anthony uh, Quinn and, uh, and yes. Mary. No, no. Mary had a little lamb? I don't know. No, it's the guy, lady from Stakeout. 
Stakeout? Oh, no, I don't know who this is. Oh, what's her name? She was in 12 Monkeys. Madeline Stowe. Right, okay. Yeah. Um, well, I only watch this because Tarantino. I'm a big, well, I'm a big fan of re- re- revenge movies, and I thought what's called revenge got to be pretty up there. Um, and Tarantino called it the best revenge film ever made. And I was like, wow, okay. I mean, Tarantino has led me astray many a time on film recommendations, I've got to say. <laughs> he's not someone to trust, I don't think. Was he quoted um, as saying that at around the time Tony Scott was making his own script? Probably, like, probably. But it's like, literally, uh, it's so boring. Like, so, so boring. For a revenge film as well. Like, one thing I revenge movie shouldn't be it's boring mm. and it is it takes so so long to and get to the is, inciting incident and this is the only film he's revisited is a director's cut and you're watching the director's cut weren't you because it was this oh I don't think I was you know no. I don't know maybe no. I was I think you were like the unrated like reversion of it where he'd kind of gone back and like t- tweaked it to try and make it better I guess um, oh. well it didn't fucking work totally. no whatever, maybe it didn't work um, now we're getting into the, the holy trilogy for me yeah because we talked about Days of Thunder last boy yeah, I mean, you're right on it, and this is a triple bill. Last Boy Scout, Shane Black script. Yeah. It's for Bruce Willis at peak Die Hard era. Yes, this is just after Die Hard 2. He's like, the bank yeah. four stars, and you know, he's actually caring what he's doing. He's, yeah. he's putting his everything into it. He's cool. He's so fucking cool in this movie. He's fucking great, um, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, I mean, by all accounts, everybody hated working on this film. Uh, Tony Scott, like, yeah, it was a bit of a tyrant. It's like massive, like, male egos clashing. You've got Joel Silver, was a like, nightmare to work with. Um, you know, Tony Scott, and then Bruce Willis, who was like, just before Hudson Hawk era peak, like, you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. ego. And, um, yeah, the, the, the composer, Michael Kamen, absolutely hated working on it. He wanted to leave, but, like, just did it out of, like, you know, respect to Tony Scott. And, um, you know, it and it kind of gets, it, when you know all that awful background to it, I mean, Shane Black doesn't like it because they changed the script quite a bit. Oh, really? But for me, it's one of my favourites. I absolutely yeah, adore I the final product. It's, it's a film would never get made today. Um, it's quite dated in some of its attitudes towards women, I think. Oh, but, is it? Yeah, but it's still it for a while. just a hardboard, like, really well-written, like, funny uh, comedy, like, in terms of the, um, the dialogue between Damon Wayans and Bruce Willis is, like, top. Yeah. It's, it's so funny. The dialogue is hilarious. And, um, you Great know... villains, I, like, you know, it's a really interesting, like, you know, plot, I find. You know, it's a good um, detective movie. It's just what Shane Black does best, isn't it? Buddy Cop movie. Yeah. Sorted. Like, uh, like you yeah, know, that's what it feels like, and it, it's great. I wish there'd been a sequel. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's one of those films where I watch it and go, oh, they should have been greenlighting the sequel straight away. Every, like, goon in it is so well written as well. Like, Gandolfini. Yeah, oh, he's, well, you know, he's, yeah, he's just very background extra, though. Yeah, I'm I mean, sure. but, like, there's just wave after yeah. wave of hired thugs come after Bruce Willis and Damon Wayans in this film. And, and like, each time they kind of are, like, their own kind of awesome little characters. And, you know, they kind of, like, have got so much, like, you know, uh, smarm about them because they've got a gun and they've got the upper hand on Bruce Willis, who will always, like, find a way of killing them. Like it's just it's just so funny to watch him like get get one over on all these like awful like goons. Um, so yeah, I love Lost. Well, there's a bit where he kills someone with a punch, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, well, yeah, talking about Gandolfini playing a goon, of course he is in True Romance mm-hmm. in a bigger role, yeah. and I mean he's phenomenal in that film. Mm. He's scary, sleazy, nasty fucker in True Romance. The fight sequence he has with Patricia Arquette is one of the best yeah and I mean it, True Romance is uh, I really really like it I think it's incredibly enjoyable film mm. um I do think like you say there's a slightly odd
odd thing where it seems to be a parade of massive star cameos like, yeah, yeah. through the film. Like, there's so many big actors who turn up for a scene or two. Yeah. And so it's it doesn't. Like Gary Oldman. Pitt. Uh, Brad Pitt. Yeah, 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 Gary Oldman. Brad, Brad Pitt, Walken, uh, Dennis Hopper. Uh, yeah. Gandolfini of course he wasn't as big a star then but now um, and it's that thing of like it feels a bit disjointed like doesn't quite completely hold together but I think it's one of those things where the parts are so strong even though it doesn't quite link together it, you know yeah. it's still oh yeah no it's, it's wonderful to watch Val Kilmer it's, Val Kilmer's oh, it's in it as well. terrific like oh, yeah. you know he's script, Elvis right yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah fantasy Elvis yeah. fantasy Elvis um, you know and it's Tarantino script that you know the time when Tarantino was on fire it'd be like, really yeah. interesting if you went not that you ever would but if you went back to this era of like writing True Romance writing Dust Till Dawn like just writing like oh, scripts writing and scripting them people, people. Yeah, can you imagine yeah. I know Natural Born Killers is the one he hated. And Natural Born like, Killers, yeah. The film, yeah. didn't he? Um, well, the weird thing is, is Natural Born Killers, yeah, I think that's the reason he wouldn't do that again, because he's so angry about Natural Born Killers. You ever heard about that story about how he like tried to attack Oliver Stone in a restaurant? <laughs> and funnily enough, talking about the Me Too uh, generation, apparently it was Harvey Weinstein who got in between uh, <laughs> Oliver Stone yeah. and uh, Tarantino, because Stone would have blatantly destroyed Tarantino like, yeah, and, uh, and yeah he got between Tarantino has a long history of fighting people in restaurants and stuff <laughs> <laughs> or try, trying yeah. to for otherwise yeah. yeah. hold, hold him back yeah, oh, like, uh, oh, but, but he'd no longer be, be back, he'd no longer <laughs> be there Quint, and he's in prison now so don't uh, don't try it again <laughs> but it, it's, it's uh, the DVD of this has a commentary by Tarantino he's only done like two you know ever I think one for Hot Fuzz and this um, and True Romance but what does he do one for Hot Fuzz yeah yeah like him and Edgar Wright do a commentary oh that sounds uh, fun it, yeah it's, like, it's yeah. basically there's a there's a parade of like film references to like cop thrillers that they love so oh, like there's yeah, a whole letterbox list of everyone they mention in this commentary it's like, almost a hundred films just ignore all of the Tarantino recommendations based on <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah it's um, the right ones it's a really good one because he talks a bit about like how he trusts Tony Scott you know he wouldn't do the same visually style he wouldn't, wouldn't it was not nothing like Tarantino would do himself in terms of visuals but mm. he just loved the way he kind of handled the material and, and there's no better way of like illustrating that than the scene in the trailer with Hopper and Walker and he said this is like perfection I wouldn't do it in any other way well I suppose he was clearly a big fan of Scott wasn't he because not only does he love revenge but he is one of the few apologists for Days of Thunder he loves Days of Thunder he's always saying like, oh yeah yeah no I think it's one of the best racing movies ever made so you know <laughs> of the five that, like, yeah, yeah yeah exactly yeah. He was, I think he compared it to that Steve McQueen film Le Mans oh, right, thing, okay. like you know um, but we then got Crimson Tide Which, another fucking great movie yeah. did you say that's your favourite that's my favourite I think yeah. Because it's just—it's all around like you know—it's just so well written, so taught. Like the great like Gene Hackman in the prime of his second sort of like you know the the Hackman naissance. Yes. Like everything yeah. post Unforgiven, where he has this like ten year run of just being amazing in everything he's in. Yes. He picks some plum roles, doesn't he? Like I mean, him and Denzel going head to head is is fantastic. Yeah. It is so every time that the air crackles with like you know the the testosterone in this film mm -hmm. like is palpable, isn't it? You know, and you've got some amazing co-stars there who you know all kind of like in awe of these two giants as well. You've got mm. Gandolfini in there, yeah. and Viggo Mortensen and uh, George Zunder. There's some great secondary character actors in this movie as well that just sort of just prop them up. And we've got some yeah. Tarantino script doctoring on this. Uh, all the yeah. Silver Surfer yeah. chat. Right? Well, isn't there? 
isn't there a Star Trek reference in this? There is, yeah. Uh, like, you yeah. need more power for like, Mr. Scotty. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. We've got the Klingons about to blow up the ship and we need <laughs> more power. Like, got to get on the radio. There um, you go. But who else? There was another ghostwriter on this movie that was like a, a script uh, doctor, the um, a famous speech in it. Oh, I'm not sure. The Trumbles know who it is. Uh, like, yeah, it Trumbles, right? <laughs> but yeah, it is great. I, and I must admit, it would come down for me between True Romance or Crimson Tide of my favourite Scott film. It's hard for me to yeah, pick. Yeah, same. Because um, they are both extremely good. Uh, so Great Hans Zimmer score as well. It's struggle. so good. But it is, yeah. It so is. you've seen Crimson Tide, haven't you? Yes, yes. Yeah. On your, cause remember, oh, that's one of my first ones. Yeah. First I, I had a weird phase of um, shitting on submarines movies for what? whatever reason oh yeah <laughs> What was that based on? We, we just had these weird periods like during school and stuff where we just went anti certain stuff and I was like oh fuck submarines it's all just like we made to dive, 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 through... bubble, bubble, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, it's not like I watched Das Boot and like yeah I was like seven hours like, of Das Boot or no, something but, like, then, yeah. but then maybe the second time seeing this and revisiting it again I was like oh you know what it's perfect yeah, <laughs> such a weird thing. Um, then after that, we firmly go out of this strong triple bill era to 1996's The Fan. I don't know what this is. Uh, this is a film um, about Robert De Niro playing another. I mean, funny enough, I, I watched this recently, right? And I was watching it, going, "Oh, they're trying to make King of Comedy again." But this time, where because Robert De Niro is another obsessive fan. And who, at one point, he doesn't actually kidnap Wesley Snipes, who plays a famous ball player, uh, who he's obsessed with, but he does kidnap his son. Um, so there's a lot of similarities between the two. And as I watch it, the more I watched it, I went, well, I just wish I was watching King of Comedy, which is <laughs> fantastic. Like, I think, like, you know, and uh, De Niro is, is good in it, but he's kind of, you know, because he, it's still in the era where De Niro was amazing. Just after like, like, you know, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Well, I think the same year or is no, it one year it, after? It, yeah. One year after. So it's still in really, when De Niro's only doing really great movies, really. And, you know, Ed Snipes is very much mm. uh, kind of like, he's at his heat peak kind of thing. Like, you know, it's only a couple of years after Passenger 57, right? About three years after that. Uh, three years after. But he's still, I mean, this is before Blade, so like, and after mm -hmm. Demolition Man. So Snipes is a big star still. Yeah. And um, yeah, it just, it's a really disjointed, weird film. It doesn't really seem to decide what it's doing until about halfway through, where suddenly, like, De Niro's character turns full psycho and stabs uh, Benicio del Toro to death. <laughs> um, and it just kind of. It doesn't seem to know what it's doing at all. Like, yeah, some some decent performances wrapped up in a kind of really weird script. It's all over the place. Yeah, Have you been, seen it? No, it's been pretty much forgotten. I've not well, not really gone after that one at all. I mean, it's quite nicely directed. You know, in terms of Scott, like, it looks quite nice and stuff like that. Um, you know, it's short. It's not long. Um, but it's yeah, it's, it's not a recommend uh, from me. Enemy of the State. So this is the uh, beginning is of like the new era of Scott. So this is like basically inventing the CSI crazy? sort of like look. 
you know. So even in like this, it's, it's doing yeah, that. because it's like this is the kind of film where if you get well, established, Man of Fire kicked it off. No, no. no yes. Enemy of the State has lots of establishing shots, say the Pentagon, and it will just like have the Pentagon like wide shot with a big blue, dark blue filter on it, and then it goes Pentagon at the bottom, and then it goes. Yeah. Zoom in, like with the camera will pan round, or there'll be a speed ramp in the editing, right, right. and then there'll be like you know, and then there'll be a punch, punch in from a really long lens, and then it'll be the camera will be kind of like waving around. It will just be like lots of kind of punch in shots. Yeah, you know, there's the, he has the master shot, which is like the classical film. So you could have edited this film classically if yeah. you wanted, but he's gone in his second unit or work for you know, um, or his third and fourth and fifth cameras. I think he shoots something about like so many cameras that he'll have one or two that are just mm. doing crazy shit, zooming in and out. And and this is the kind of thing that adds to the, um, you know, kinetic nature of this film, where there's a lot of surveillance going on. I think he's experimenting a bit, but it, it is what you would see every day on CSI now, yeah. like yeah, just taking procedural yeah. stuff, like which is a lot to do with computers, and you know how to make computers interesting. People tapping away and breaking the firewall and unlocking. That's what Michael Mann still trying to do, <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, yeah, and he failed at like making it interesting because yeah. it just. Even the man, Martin. Well, there's a subtle build here, isn't there? And this is, I think you're completely right that Enemy of the State is the first film of that nature, like visually. And there's definitely a build towards Domino. Like each film from this point gets more and more towards that style. Yeah, so I think in my head it was because Man on Fire, Domino, those ones, they're the ones, the, the colours are much different, aren't they? Because Enemy of the State in my head is just. Because you've not great, seen Spy Game, and I think you, if you saw Spy no. Game, that has like genuine like colour, like passes. So, like, there's a whole segment in Berlin which is very blue, and then there's like Citroën in Beirut, which right. is like. But um, it's all leading to the, that Domino yeah, acid. But and like, I think Enemy of the State is the same. There's kind of a blue, slightly blue filter on that. I'd yeah, say, it's the like, first yeah. one's heavily filtered. Because he was never, you know, um, he always used kind of like these um, tinted filters, which would be like making the LA sunset like more, like, you know, colourful in terms there'd be a red gradient so the, in the camera there's like, a lot of that days of fun yeah yeah where yeah. from the top down you actually see the point it changes like if you know what you're looking for you can see where the lens like halfway through isn't like red anymore and it's so all the skies look more red than they would be normally um, and he's doing that from like Top Gun onwards he, he got fired three times from Top Gun apparently really yeah once for like the way it looked the dailies were coming it's like what's this filter shit oh, and, and then the other right. bit he made like uh, Kelly McGill look like a whore uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, with too much lipstick, uh, and I can't remember the third time he got fired. But like, yeah, little little things. Um, More forgiving times. Um, but I, I like Emily. We all like Emily. Uh, yeah, oh, super! Like big Willie Turn. Like he's great in it. I, I bought this DVD. Like you know, one of those kind of free for twenties. I had seen it once years when it came out, and I kind of revisited. It and I thought it really holds up. Yeah, I mean, it's got it's, John Boyd playing himself as some Republican nut job, like who's uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, who's basically running some. And Hackman's in there again. Isn't it? Hackman is great. It's basically an unofficial sequel to the conversation, and there is a, there is a, a direct link to the conversation where there's a, a picture of because um, uh, he's playing a character who was a surveillance expert and now oh, he's gone into hiding because okay. he, he thinks everybody's after him so he's living off the grid in like this compound where it's only one internet I love the conversation and he's the file picture of him back in the day is a picture from the conversation so yeah, it's kind of like as if you changed identity and kind of like went underground so if you can look at it like that it's like a 1998 version of the conversation yeah um, yeah, yeah. and uh, okay. it's got like Tom Sizemore playing a mob boss it's like one of those films that could be a 12 but actually Pretty it's got too many 
like 50 you know f-bombs and kind of like bloody shootouts to kind of like you'd, you'd think it'd be a will smith they went over their limit, 12 yeah. yeah and then it, i thought it was a 12 and i was like wait a second they're blowing people away in this it's movie. the last last days of being able to make a blockbuster like yeah. that isn't it yeah like there's no way now they well i think things are starting to change where, again where, now where but like, yeah, changed, may... isn't it? so the norms back then were different like what yeah. are you expecting this is this it may be pg-13 i think maybe i watched like a harder uh, right, extended right, right, cut right, right. like when they when they were just throwing in anything that was on the cutting floor into into films to release them again but you know this was a time wasn't it where big will above the title was a uh, hundred million dollar guarantee uh, yeah and yeah. a sign of a sign of a good fun quality blockbuster until yeah. later that year like With next wild year wild west. Oh, yeah, of course <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah it's that this year. was still before he wild wild west. That, but uh, even then wild wild west seemed like you well, know this a, is him a, post- a momentary glitch didn't it uh, independence day and men in black i mean you can't beat those two yes like it's knocking yeah, it out yeah, of the yeah. park isn't it then you've got like this one which i think is still like really well uh, received yes um, yeah 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 and uh, but yeah, we go on to Spy Game, which I think is the undersung one, which is one I would recommend to people who haven't seen it. Really like it. I watched it um, literally this week, and I was like, it's really good. Yeah, um, really well, good. It's Brad Pitt again, like picking something that you wouldn't expect him to do. But I think the opportunity to work with a, a legend like Robert Redford, who's, who's fucking great in it. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it's dark. This film is really dark. It's mm. like not an action. It's not when you have a film called Spy Game, you expect it to kind of be a bit more kind of like light in tone a bit more kind of like you know um like a, a like james bond like kind of thing yeah well it, i actually think he inspired his brother with this film to make body of lies yeah that ridley scott's body of lies that is a similar film in terms of subject matter and relationship between dicaprio and crow in that of the older and younger agents yeah. going like you know but robert redford in this i mean he's he's prime Robert Twinkly Eyes. Yeah, is yeah. He? He's so cool still, even at this stage. And they, there's a very... It, it's set over decades, this film. Mm. And somehow, I mean, I wouldn't say they quite get away with it because it is... It starts in, like, the... Vietnam. The, the, end of Vietnam. Yeah, yeah. So it's, like, 1975 to 1991. And it's all set. done with a bit of, kind of, makeup and lighting and stuff to, kind of, de-age them. I mean, now that it would all be done yeah. with digitally. Well, this is Brad Pitt just, like, is the Benjamin Button, yes. like, isn't he? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He No just, effects required. just has a little shave and suddenly he's, like, 21 again. And, you know, in the late Vietnam scenes, he's, like, you know, 75. He's looking so baby-faced. Yeah. But Redford yeah. is always vampirish in the sense of like, you're like, how comes he hasn't aged since yeah, the well, 70s? Yeah, well, you've seen an interview with the crews. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like, uh, but it's, I think it's a really good film. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's really yeah, it's, good. It's, really it's, it's a strong screenplay that are, like has a lot of twists and turns in it. Yeah. It holds, you know, holds no punches in terms of like the subject matter like in it as well. There's, you know, betrayals, like some really dark shit happens and are people making, you know, atoning for that. And the way that Redford Redford, like navigates like you know he's being investigated by the, the central intelligence agency and like he you know they will see through his lies basically mm. if he's trying to cover them up but like his way out maneuvering them and it's intelligent terrific. and sophisticated it is in a way is. that you like, I didn't actually expect mm. especially for a kind of Tony Scott film who in general you know in comparison was made far more kind of bigger kind of movies in like kind of blockbuster sense you know it feels very dialed back despite the fact that he has his style yeah so, I think it yeah. still at this point really fits in with the source material like, yes yeah. um, you know his, his style that he's put on this really works for it 
Um, yeah, it's, it's an excellent movie, really highly recommended it. I think it's the one that people may, it's the best one that's not been seen by the majority And it's people. on Netflix, so you've got no excuse oh, people, right. like going, that, yeah, you especially, yeah. Uh, Matt. Um, on to Man on Fire, which I assume you have seen. Yeah. Matt on Fire. Matt on Fire. Uh, yeah, no, I just remember it for, you know, really young Dakota Fanning breakout role, isn't it? Because it's when, it's her first big thing after, well, it's I Am See, Sam in like 99, but that's when she was. I Am What? I am Sam. But the Spike Lee movie. Oh, is it her is first big is it her first big thing? That's, that's what I thought. No, you're thinking of Sam. Sam. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I assume it's from the success of this that got her in War of the Worlds and Spielberg. Yeah, yeah, so, totally. So, oh, that, 100%. Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Hey, Creasy. Like, um, yeah, well, the, this is the thing. It's weird. I remember when this film came out, right? Uh -huh. It wasn't very correctly well received, yeah, at the time. And, however, it seems to have built up a real cult status. Like, certainly, whenever I talk to anyone about Man on Fire, they're like, oh, Man on Fire's great, isn't it? Uh, like, and I've got to say, I, I mean, I agree with the critics back then. Like, I, I don't like this film. Uh, I, I think it's pretty shitty. And I think it is definitely on the way to Tony Scott kind of losing his way visually with this kind of mentally <laughs> frenetic kind of editing style. Uh, but you... you Oh like, yeah, I, I, do, I agree with you, the, the editing style, like, if only it was done a bit more straight, I would put, put, think it would be better. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I think Daniel gives a, a really great performance, I think Dakota Fanning's, like, excellent in it. Um, you know, I think he does take bloody revenge on a few people in a good yeah. way, like, uh, and there's an interesting, like, there's like... Shoves the bomb up someone's ass. Yeah, and like, there's an alternate ending where he shoves the bomb up his own ass. <laughs> there isn't. There is, and he, and that's how he gets all the bad guys. He goes, he gets captured by them, and then it, the, the bomb blows up inside him and takes them all out. <laughs> yeah, Which bomb for that. I way. mean, I'm glad they changed the ending. Yeah. I've got to say, because it has actually got a downbeat ending, doesn't it? Yeah, well, he, well, he's yeah, he's he hands himself over, he exchanges himself for the kid, to, doesn't to, he? Yeah, yeah. Which I think I liked that ending. And he's there, dying quite, anyway. I think yeah. that's the thing. He's been shot. I think so. He's going to bleed out anyway, but they don't know that. So he's like, yeah, yeah. I think I found Dakota Fanning really annoying in it, which is awful because she is a good oh. young actress. But I, I remember this, and uh, she did a lot of kind of blubbering, and I think at the time <laughs> she's people, a little girl. I know. I know, she I know. the best then, fluttering around. You know, at the time, people were like, oh yeah, look, she's so emotional too. And I just found, because I remember there was a bit in the Don't War ever get kidnapped, anybody. I like, know. <laughs> in the War the of the Worlds trailer, where there's like, you know, aliens heading towards her, she's in the back of her, going, <laughs> I'm like, shut up, kid. Come on, aliens. I'm worse than Pine and Unstoppable. I just, yeah, I'm just not a big, uh, just not a big fan of it. I don't know, it turns me off. Maybe I should give it another chance. <sighs> Maybe I should give it another chance. I, I think there's like, there's a few good lines in it, which again, it's just, it's it would be a really good 70s like film. Yeah. yeah. yeah I think it would be great, uh, a bit like Walter Matthau's, like that film, you know. Charlie Barrack. Charlie Barrack. If it was done in that kind of era and that style. Walking maybe. gets a good line in it, doesn't he? Yeah. Like, he goes, Chris's art is deaf. He's about a penis masterpiece. That's <laughs> yeah. what he says. Like, uh, yeah, it's. it's and isn't it something that Denzel's been doing? No, a forgiveness lot. is between, between you and God. I'm just here to make the introduction. <laughs> Yeah, it's quite good. Maybe I should give it a chance. Yeah, hasn't Denzel been doing this like the Equalizer films? I haven't seen them, but they yes. just seem like Man on Fire to me. Well, no, I, I, pre I prefer them to Man on Fire. I've got to be honest. I I think that um, in those Equalizer films, like I, funny enough, I think the sequel is of Equalizer is far superior to the first film, um, and. 
I think that more than I think yeah <laughs> I think that Denzel has really created a character there I think those films work because of him because you know like I say doesn't put in a bad performance but he really commits that role properly he's created a character there is that is that his only sequel yeah it is his only yeah. sequel oh. yeah his only sequel he unless you count it. Pelham 123 <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it is his, his only sequel so yeah the long running <laughs> Pelham film franchise second equaliser <laughs> I, I recommend stopping spotlight with doing um, a Pelham 123 like we've we've talked Domino it's fucking pieces yeah shit, let's, isn't it? like, let's it's fucking roll on my name is Domino Harvey I am a bounty hunter uh, Deja Vu we've taught that we yeah. Paul recommends I will I go and watch it I think we've about that <laughs> <laughs> in the Matrix mate uh, Taking a Power on 123 not as good as the original basically yeah. uh, that, that's all you need to know watch the original oh yeah no you definitely should yeah, like, yeah the original sure. film Walter Matthau like this is the thing Matthau was like so great when he was he was a great straight man people forget like yeah. uh, Charlie Barrack and uh, and this like in the 70s are great showcases of his talent I think a lot of people don't know that he had the era of his career because when you think of Walter Matthau you instantly think of his uh, comedic yeah, grumpy old man yeah, with, old with, couple. with Jack Lemmon I, I think Jack, uh, the fact that Jack yes. Lemmon had a, a serious career has been remembered more yeah. far more than Matthau and actually you look at those 70s filled hard-boiled 70s thrillers he made he was really good at that yeah. um, and the problem with the remake of that film is that you've got Denzel playing uh, Walter Matthau's role and it, Denzel like I say is one of the most charismatic performers in the world and he basically it's weird because he often gets cast as the, the everyman in a way always like Denzel is He's not, not like an anybody. everyman no, no. in no and way an everyman repeating his role from Inside Man literally a couple of years before isn't it it's like you know stringing along a guy who's got hostages yeah yeah it's I suppose so, so, yeah. so close yeah. to it and he's always brilliant he's always brilliant but I'm just kind of like you are essentially miscast because there's no way anyone would ever just like just work in a like if you worked at a supermarket and Denzel worked with you he'd be the coolest guy there Obviously, everyone be like, "This guy is absolutely amazing." Not like, "Oh, whatever, loser." Okay, you know, bag these up, going like, "Yeah, it just it just wouldn't happen." And Chibol well, yeah, like, did you see Fences? It's the coolest binman around. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen Fences yet. I do want to. Um, I think he's a binman. But <laughs> uh, Travolta plays the bad guy in it, who was Robert Shaw in the original. And Robert Shaw is so kind of calculated and considered and kind of cool as ice villain in it whereas uh, Travolta is real in his kind of weird live wire but swordfish performance yes yes very much like that he got really over the top and stuff and it just doesn't doesn't fit in the right way no it doesn't work for this because it's got to be somebody who's really cool yes and and, and control not somebody who's like you know looks like he's got some kind of tumour and it's sending him crazy (laughs) yeah but James Gandolfini (laughs) is in this film as the city mayor yeah. and it's a very very small role um, we want uh, a spin off like that's the thing well, it's, yeah it's I know universe spin off um, when they made this film they offered the role to Gandolfini and he actually looked at the script and went there's basically nothing here this is kind of like you know a nothing role and Tony Scott was like I really want you to see this film 
and he said, yeah, if I can go away with the screenwriter and kind of basically just beef up my role a bit, a bit more character to it, yeah. then, you know, I'll do it. And, and he came back with a script called The Mayor. Yeah. And uh, they didn't make <laughs> <Yeah>. it, but... <laughs> he, he does so much with so little in this film. Yeah. Every moment he turns up is a, is a joy. He brings so much character to this tiny, tiny role. And, yeah, Gandolfini, he, he was the best. Mm. He really was. So it's a joint tribute today for the Tony yes. Scott with <laughs> and Gandolfini. Uh, yeah. Oh, because after that, it's just unstoppable. Uh, that, that's it. So we've actually done a little overview there. I really enjoyed the, the Scott, like, you know, overview there. I think it's, um, it'd be interesting if there's any really Scott, com- you know, comparisons we can make. But, like, it's a really varied career, isn't it? And it's, uh, and it's, it had gone through several phases. Yeah, I need nice to, to catch recap. up. Yeah, I've no, learned. there's mm. definitely. Which one are you kind of most looking forward to? Right? Uh, Spy Game. Probably. Yeah, no, I would. Yeah. yeah, I think that's the one, isn't and it? Top so Gun, because, but... Only because it's on Netflix, makes it easy for him. <laughs> easy, easy. <laughs> I, think, I, yeah. I think Top Gun is just like it's a big yeah, blind spot, it. isn't it? You know, but there's a lot there you can kind of put a line through. I think because I, I said you know, the only two I've not seen is re- well, actually, sorry, three: Revenge of the Fan and um, Pelham, and I don't really want to watch any of them. Really, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I couldn't in my right mind recommend any of those films. Yeah. So you know. Um, I mean, one thing I would like to say, talking about Ridley Scott comparisons, is much as Ridley um, is definitely the more renowned, the critical darling, of yeah, the two. Well, uh, occasional uh, critical it, darling, yeah, <laughs> yeah not, so, not so much anymore, Good but and yeah, bad critical yeah, definitely the one who's more renowned um, between the two brothers, Tony Scott far more of an auteur in my opinion than Ridley Scott it does and not that makes him a better director but certainly in terms of having a style having an authorship to his films 100% you know you're watching a Tony Scott film yeah, all yeah. the time and not even before he started his epileptic oh no because he was, that was the, he invented that look almost to yes, himself yeah exactly yeah you don't and, watch Blade uh, Runner and a good year and go no, same guy no uh, they, they, Ridley Scott, uh, uh, to me, uh, Ridley is as good as the script he's working with, in my opinion. Um, the Martian, perfect example. I think it's his best film since Gladiator, and you know that is that's all in the script and some would like the actual source material itself. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I think that Tony, well, you know, yeah, because I think that just to kind of go on that point, it's like yeah. Ridley Scott, like this r- director's round table for the Hollywood Reporter, like he's just so flippant about like, oh. oh Oh, it's, yeah, it's so, yeah, no, it's easy, you know, I'm just so experienced and I could just do, I could bang this film out in seven days, you know. It just basically, he's got so good at sort of just setting up the camera, doing what he's doing. He's, he's lost the art, you know, artisanship. Yes. He's not, yeah, yeah he's, unlike Blade Runner where he'd sort of middle over, like, you know, just getting the neon just right and mm-hmm. the smoke just right. He's not that guy anymore. Like, he no. just goes into the marsh and go, great script, let's shoot the script. And, you know, I'm going to just do it with that. It's just not really anything sort of mm. beyond that he's not bringing anything to it other than just like safe pair of hands yeah I think that's exactly right because I mean you know everyone was in awe of how he managed to turn around all the money in the world reshoots yeah. so fast uh, but you know I would say you watch all the money in the world and it's a perfectly fine film but it's mechanical in that's the way what it's, it's, it's gone and I feel that's kind of you know where he's at now in his career and as for this sequel to Gladiator really <laughs> fucking Time. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, I mean, the quicker you get to the underworld, the better. Like, yeah, I mean, unless you're going to pull out the Nick Cave for script. <laughs> no, that's it. Yeah, that's one we wouldn't mind seeing that because it would just yeah. be interesting. Like, a, not this. And you'd have spin off about Joaquin Phoenix's nephew, like in the film. Apparently, that's what it's about. Oh, like, the story we all want to see. <laughs> what's going on? God. Anyway, um, 
yeah, I mean, that's it's been really great chatting about kind of Tony uh, Scott and his career and Unstoppable. And we're going to be back with another Spotlight of the Movies uh, soon to take a look at another kind of film connected to the larger star. Yeah. And you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Spotlight Pod. You can email us at spotlightpod at gmail.com. We genuinely do love to hear from you. If you've got any suggestions of films we could do for Spotlight of the Movies, feel free to suggest. We're always interested um, to hear the, you know, the reasons as to why we should cover those films. Um, leave us a review at iTunes, uh, preferably a five-star review. Um, but we, I mean, it's always really interesting to hear your opinions. And apparently it does help guess up those charts. Yes. And, and more people we are now also on Spotify. Yes, we're on Spotify. Yes. You can hear us on Spotify. So for anyone complaining about how they couldn't hear us before, for any reason, you now <laughs> no, can on Spotify if you're paying them every month for Spotify. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's, it's a very accessible platform and they're really, really getting down into podcasts. There's quite a lot of like Spotify-exclusive like podcasts now. Yeah, the new season of Dissect. That's literally yeah. what I was just thinking yeah. of, covering the miseducation of Lauren Hill. They're great pod- podcast recommend. Dissect, yeah. breaking down a classic hip-hop that album the, every the, season. The most intricately put-together podcast I've ever heard. Yes. The, the, the level of deep dive that goes into that. It covers track by track. Covers uh, classic albums, uh, track by track. He's so far done Kendrick Lamar, Pimple Butterfly, Kanye West's My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, and a Frank Ocean sort of double par of Channel Orange and Blonde. And now, yes, mini series of Miseducation of. Lauren Hill. Yeah. I always always said Cameron Post. It's a a fantastic uh, podcast, so we definitely recommend that. It's a nice little extra podcast recommend section. Um, At the end, what we do not recommend is the return of Chris Hardwick in IDNT. Uh, (laughs) Unsubscribe (laughs) if you hadn't already. (laughs) 